0: Uh, I'll be done by about quarter two here, and then we're going to invite up uh, those that are being baptized and just share a little bit, and then we're going to actually observe their baptism this morning. So, should be a great morning. If you have a, a Bible and you'd like to turn to Ecclesiastes nine, we're walking through this book, and we're getting towards the end. By the way, this is a very repetitious book, and you know, every week I I take another chapter and I go, I think he said this last week. But that's the way the book is, and you know what the good thing about that is? When you get to the end of this, you should remember what he said. (coughs) Because he's going to, there's a few major themes that he just keeps coming back to over and over and over again, and so we're going to actually see three of those this morning that he's hit on before and he's going to hit on them again. He actually starts with a very positive word. Not something you find a lot of in the book of Ecclesiastes, because Solomon's looking at life, and he's going, there's a lot of things in life that are uh, very hard, a lot of things I don't understand, and a lot of things I don't like. So, again, he starts off, and he says, I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. Interesting statement. He's saying here that the people who are righteous and the people who are wise, God has them in his hand. He has them in the palm of his hand. But then he says this, you know what? If you look at their lives, you may not. In fact, you may not know whether God loves or hates them. You may even look at some people that God loves and you say, man, with what's happened in their life, God may not uh, be very pleased with that person. But that's the way life is. And Solomon makes that observation. So in the first section here, Solomon's going to talk about a major event in all of our lives. Look at verses 2 and the first half of 3. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun, the same destiny or takes them all. So, He's talking about this common event. He's reminding us that we we all have a common reality in our lives. We all live in a cursed world. We all experience the fallout of that broken world. And what's the common event that we all have in common? Well, here he describes it. last half of verse 3. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward... They join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. So, not everyone will lose a child. Not everyone will go through a divorce. Not everyone will hear that word cancer. Not everyone has a child who rejects the Lord. Not not everyone has a parent or a spouse that gets Alzheimer's. Not everyone goes through bankruptcy. Not everyone goes through disability. Not everyone gets addicted to drugs during the course of their life. But Solomon said there's one thing that happens to all of us. Every single one of us. And that is, we are all going to die. That's the elephant in the room. One day, you can live as good as you want. You can you can live as healthy as you want. You, In the end, he says, we're all going to die. And so it's like life is under this cloud. It's like the last four days. Life is like the last four days. I mean, you get kind of anxious for the sun to come out. Solomon's saying, we, we live under this cloud. People have experienced that cloud in, in Las Vegas. They've experienced it in Houston, in Florida, now in California. I mean, what about that elderly couple? One is 100 and the other was 97, and they, they died in their home. They both <clears throat> burned to death in their home. They were from Wisconsin, met each other in grade school you scratch your head and, you know, why does it have to end that way? And so we see there's this there's this cloud. This cloud. One day we know that we are going to die and one day we know that those that we love, which may for some of us be even harder. The worst thing about death may not be that it's going to happen to us, it may be that it's going to happen to somebody else that we care about. And so Solomon here, he, I mean he's pretty discouraging. <clears throat> he says a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now dogs back then were not like dogs today. You know when you think of a dog, you think of this pet that you love, you know, you'll spend thousands of dollars on this dog. This, that wasn't the case here. Dogs were mangy. They roamed many of the time just wild. They were like the least of all animals. And Solomon said well it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. A lion was an honored animal. But what good is it, says Solomon, if you're not alive? So this, this is a perspective under the sun that Solomon paints for us. Once we die, it's over. You know, sometimes as people of faith, we have a hard time imagining what it would be like to live life from that perspective. But there's a lot of people that live that way. I was visiting with one of the funeral directors a couple weeks ago. He was saying, you know what? More and more and more people now are not having funerals. I said, what are you going to do? We'll get together at the bar in a month. And that's it. He He said, you can't believe the hopelessness of people. He said, I don't know how they do it. And so, Solomon is describing here what life is like under the sun with this cloud of the reality of death that people all face. Now he's going to move, so he he starts there, and then then he moves into a second major theme here, and we see this is like the fifth time in nine chapters that he's going to come back to this. And what Solomon is going to do here, he is going to call us to say, you know what, in light of this reality, you better enjoy today. You should really enjoy your life today. To the fullest. You know why? Because tomorrow you might not have life anymore. You may not have an opportunity to live life. You should maybe take a the sun comes out, you should maybe take a bike ride today because tomorrow you may not have the strength to ride that bike. And so this is a, a theme that that we see comes out here. Listen to it in verse seven. It says, Go, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with, the, with your wife whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So how's that for an encouraging word today? <laughs> but you know, there's a reality here that that we need to get a hold of. It's Here's how I relate to it. It's kind of like when you go on vacation. Now, I, I remember this when, when I used to go on vacation. I, I would, I would go on vacation, and let's say it was a Monday through Friday. Monday was great. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, Friday. My wife says you seem kind of crabby. Never happened to you? So why am I crabby on Friday? Because vacation's just about over, right? Friday and Saturday are shot because I'm bummed out that I have to quit on Sunday All right, Solomon says don't do that. Yeah you're gonna die one day but don't let that ruin today. Yeah you may not be healthy but don't let that ruin your life today. One day you may lose your mind but don't don't that allow you to take away the joy and the mind that you have today. So whatever you have today do it with all your might. Whatever God gives you to enjoy, in, enjoy it today. You know, this is repeated like five times in this book, so it's an important concept. Jesus said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries. Just live in today. You know, I want to remind us of something. God is not stingy. He's not a party pooper. He doesn't want to rob us of pleasure. In fact, he created He created pleasure. I mean, just think about it. God created you with five senses so you could find pleasure in all those senses. So how many of you have enjoyed looking at the leaves this fall? Okay? Yeah. God gave you eyes and sight to be able to enjoy. I mean, how many things do you enjoy with your eyes that God, you know, has created? and some of the things that man creates that are beautiful and we have the ability to enjoy them because God's given us sight what about hearing just think of if if you just think of music was not a part of your life you know, have a appreci- we have appreciation for our deaf community who who can't hear so that's one of the senses that that God gives us to enjoy things in life uh, just think about the sense of touch. Like getting in a hot shower after you've been cold and letting the, the hot water beat on your back and you feel those sensations. God gave you the ability to feel pleasure. The pleasure that comes when someone embraces you and gives you a hug. The, the sense of touch. Sense of smell. You know, a f- a fresh hay cut. And of uh, that fresh smell after a thunderstorm. The smell of fresh baked bread or apple pie or just the pleasure of smell and taste. All of the things that we enjoy. God has given us all that for pleasure to enjoy. Think about that. Yeah, He's given us food for our health, but you know, it wouldn't have to taste good. So God has designed it that way. We see that Satan would like to destroy. He would like to pervert that pleasure. And so what what does Satan do in the very beginning? He comes and questions that God is a God that really wants you to enjoy. So did God really say you can't eat any of the trees here? Is that the kind of a God? Is this a God who is a killjoy, who doesn't let you enjoy life? Is that the kind of God it is? Nah, God's holding back on you, he is. He knows if you, if, you, if you cross that boundary and pursue that pleasure, he knows you're gonna enjoy it way more than you are now. And that's the same line he's, I mean, he hasn't quit. That, that line works, it still works today. And so we see that God invented pleasure and Solomon says here, you, you need to enjoy the life that God has given you. God wants you to enjoy those gifts, a world full of sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch. And remember, there's a schemer that will seek to pervert every single one of those pleasures. Verse 11, Solomon's going to jump back in under the cloud. He says, I have seen something else under the sun, and now this." he's repeating this over and over and over again. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. This is something that just bothers Solomon so much that he says "It just it just seems that people that don't deserve things get things and people that do deserve things don't get those and he said it doesn't make sense to me. You know I think God's given us a sense of justice as we're creating his image of, of cause and effect and so we have this formula. You live well, you obey God's word, you do what's right and life will go well for you. You disregard God and you live unrighteously, and life will not go well for you. That's kind of a formula. And, you know, we hear that. We hear that in Scripture. God says, you know what? If you honor me and, and keep my word, I will bless you. So there's a basis for believing that. But there's also another reality we can't deny that Solomon is talking about here. And, you know, we, we have this formula, A plus B equals C. And it works, but then one day it doesn't work. And it rocks our world. And you know, our spouse gets brain cancer, and you have three children. And life was just going along and all of a sudden this just this does not make sense. This does not fit the God that, you know, blessed if, if I do this, then then he'll do this. Or a husband who commits himself to full-time ministry and finds himself speared to death on a beach by an Indian tribe before he even begins to minister. And it can happen so suddenly. All of a sudden our, our whole trust and faith in the character of God is shaken. and We start asking questions like, where is God and can I trust God? And and did I not do the formula correctly, or is God mad at me? All of those questions. That's what he's saying in chapter 1, you know. The righteous are in God's hand, but man doesn't know whether love or hate awaits him. You don't know if things are going to happen in your life that seems like God's loving you, or or things that are going to cause you to question, say, is God mad at me? Does God hate me? And it can happen so suddenly. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. Fish are caught in a cruel net. Birds are taken in a snare. Man is trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. We see here that it can happen so suddenly. Yeah, you know, I've heard a game, life is like a game of chess. You have all these different players with different levels of power. You have the pawns, and then you have the bishops, and they're a little more powerful, and you have the castles, and, and you, know, you have the queen, and the king, and you're playing this game of life, but you know what? When the game's over, they all go back in the same box. And Solomon's saying, all these different people and, and all this stuff, but you know what, in the end, We all end up in a box, all of us. And so he comes back to this reality that it can happen so suddenly, so very suddenly. Verses 13 through 18, he's going to conclude, and I'll just read it, and then I'll conclude here. He comes back to another major theme of the book. I saw under heaven this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was a small city with only a few people in it. A powerful king came against it, surrounded it, built huge siege work against it. Now there lived in the city a poor man, but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. Quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So, what he's saying here is basically you know, wisdom's really good, and you can have wisdom, but you know, here's a guy who had great wisdom and saved the city, and it wasn't long, and people forgot about him. But wisdom is much better than the shouting of a fool and if you're going to live a life under the sun it calls for a heart of wisdom. So let me conclude just a couple things Solomon has described here living life under the cloud cloud of life doesn't seem fair we are all faced with this impending knowledge of our own death He doesn't give a lot of hope he doesn't give a it seems more pessimistic than optimistic but you go back to verse one and i remind us of this he says i reflected on this and concluded so this is really you know this is one of his concluding statements that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in god's hands the righteous and the wise and what they do are in god's hands you know, Jesus talked about that. And uh, I want you to hear in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus wrote, wrote these words. <clears throat> John chapter 10, verse 27. He writes, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no one, No one can snatch them out of my hand. Solomon says, the righteous and the wise are in the hand of God. Jesus said, no one, nothing. In fact, Paul writes in Romans, nothing in all creation. Can take them out of my hand. Demons, principalities, powers, nothing. Not even death itself. Not even death itself can take them, can pluck them out of my hand. And and who are these righteous people? These righteous people are the ones that, again, you know, I just want to share this. I read it last week, but I want to share it once more. Paul tells us as he writes in the book of, one of Paul's goals in the book of Romans is to convince all of us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so there are two kinds of righteousness. There are the kinds that we attempt to live out in our own lives. Paul says those are like filthy rags. And then there's the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. And so Paul is evaluating these two kinds of righteousness. He spent his lifetime, up until a certain point, trying to become righteous enough. And this is, again, what he writes He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In fact, I consider them rubbish. He's talking now about his own righteousness. That I may be found in him not having this righteousness of my own that comes from the law, in other words, from his own performance, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so who are these that are held in the palm of God's hand? They are those who have the righteousness of God by faith. We, uh, so that's the formula. I think you need to get rid of the other formula. The formula that says, you know what? If I do everything right, everything's going to go well. Because that formula doesn't work. It may work for a while, but something will happen in your life, I promise you. And, and it will... If that's the formula you're living by, you'll have problems with God and with what God's doing or not doing in your life. Instead, here's the formula. Confess your sinfulness. Acknowledge that you are facing death because you're a sinner. We live in a broken world because of our sin. That we need a Savior and that we need to place our faith in Christ and his death on that cross. And when you do that, you become one of those sheep who rest in the palm of in the hand of God and nothing in all creation. No hardship, no amount of difficulty, not even death itself, this ominous event that faces all of us. None of that can separate you. Can snatch you out of his hand. And then finally, we are led by God's spirit. You know, we're I talked about this cloud that we're under. But you know, God's people were under a cloud. When they were in the wilderness, God sent a cloud. And that cloud was a cloud that they were under. And you know what that cloud represented? It, didn't, it did not represent pessimism and death. It represented the presence of God and the guidance of God. And God said, when you look at that cloud, I want you to, I want you to be under that cloud because that cloud signifies my presence. When it moves, you move with it. It will guide you and it will comfort you that I am with you even in the midst of the wilderness even in the midst of the wilderness so today we have a baptism the Bible says the wages of sin is death so we're all under that sentence of death but we're alive today and you know why we're alive By the grace of God, God has allowed a delay. God has allowed a delay in the fulfillment of the death that our sin has earned us. And he allowed a delay so that the plan of redemption could be lived out and so that you and I would have the opportunity to become a part of that redemptive plan. And so God has graciously allowed us to find a victory over death in this time of delay. That should be the first order of business for any human being on the face of this earth. The first order of business should be to take care of the death sentence that we're all under because of our sin. And, and that is through faith in Christ. And once we do that, then we receive life even in the face of death. And so today we have four people that are going to be baptized. And what they are proclaiming today is that even though they live under in this broken world, even though we all know that one day we will die, we have been given this amazing gift of life in Christ. And so <clears throat> these waters symbolize they symbolize the salvation that has come through each of these individuals' personal faith in Christ. They have now received a righteousness not of their own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. And because of that, they are proclaiming to you. As they go down, they are proclaiming uh, that they have died with Christ and that they are being raised up with him to new life. And uh, that's just the greatest thing that you could ever, ever find in your life is to find life, you know, in the face of death. So I'm going to, uh, I'd like to introduce you to them, and we're going to take about ten minutes here, and and we're just going to uh, introduce them to you, and I'm going to invite them to come up. I've got some stools here, and uh, we're just going to sit around in a little circle. So you can come on up if you're going to be baptized today. You can pick your stool that you'd like. <laughs> All right. Got one more. Is Casey here? You can join us if you're here, Casey. Why don't you come on up? <clears throat> okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you guys uh, just introduce, tell us your name, okay? And then I want you to tell us, um, you know, at some, some point in your life you have You guys came to trust in Jesus, right? Yeah, you've all shared that with us. So just tell us a little bit about when that was and and how that happened for you. And then, why don't you just tell us why you want to be baptized? Okay, why you want to be baptized today? So, you're first, since you're first in line. And you're the cutest, so... All right. Sorry, guys, but... You don't yep. often get an introduction like that, so Marina, tell us a little bit about you.
1: So my name is Marina, and I came to know Jesus actually a while back, and I've been thinking about getting baptized for a while. And I actually saw one revive video, and it was actually a guy getting baptized, and, I, and just something was something just told me like I gotta get baptized, mm-hmm. I gotta do this. Mm-hmm. So
0: what do you think that something was?
1: I think it was God telling me it's time. That's right,
0: that's right. You know, one of the things we do is um, we kind of wait for young people like Marina to, we wait till God is speaking to them and uh, we don't try and convince people. Parents come in and say, I I want my child to be baptized. I, I usually like to talk to the child alone just to see, to get a sense of whether this is something God is calling to do. So, yeah, it's really neat when God is speaking to you. It's really cool. Thanks, Marina. So tell us your name. Nice. Hold that up like you're eating an ice cream cone. There you go. Oh, you know how to do that. So what's your name? Aiden. Aiden. So Aiden, Aiden. when did you hear about Jesus? Uh,
1: a long time ago.
0: A long time ago? So so tell us when you started believing in Jesus. Uh, About five. Five, okay. So that's been, how old are you now? Nine. Nine. So that's been about four years. That would be about four years ago. So so then when did you start thinking about baptism?
1: Uh, About seven and a half.
0: Seven and a half. Well, you have these dates down pretty good. So that's been a year and a half. Okay. So why uh, why do you want to be baptized? <laughs> you know, you told me, before you answer that, you told me something at your house that you were thinking about baptism a while back. Remember that? Remember why you want, tell me why you wanted to be baptized earlier on.
1: Well, I feel like God's, Telling me to get baptized. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, I also want to get baptized. Yeah.
0: And Aiden shared with me that, like, when he was like five, he thought it would be fun to splash in the water. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he said, Something's different now, and I can't put it into words. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, but you put it into words today, so that was good. All right, Matai? Come on, you can, you told me, you got to tell people when you, something happened this summer. Something happened this summer. (laughs) Can you tell us what happened this summer? Because I think that's kind of unique. Can you tell us where you received Jesus? At Revive. At Revive. Very good. And so how long, Matai, how long have you thought about baptism? Is that something new? Have you thought about that for a while? Has it just been since Revive? Mm, Yeah. Okay. So this is pretty new. This is August. right? I remember the day when when we heard that somebody had received Christ at Revive, and it was Matai. So thanks, Matai. All right. Brian, does this make you feel old?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm the old fart in the room. my name's Brian. I first came to Jesus when I was about four. Hmm. I was raised in the Lutheran church. I remember a story my mom used to tell about I came home all excited from Sunday school about how Jesus drove the eagle spearmen into the pigs. Hmm. I've been a little over six years sober now. I came back to God six years ago, and I decided I needed to get baptized and needed to reaffirm my faith. And it's time.
0: Great, that's great. <coughs> so this is a <coughs> this is a uh, big day. <coughs> Means a lot you want to share anything with these?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I was just thinking this morning about um, Jesus when he got baptized. And I just wanted to read that for you guys. And then um, just know that the Lord is pleased with you not by an act, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And your choosing to receive him is what makes you pleasing to the Lord. And that's what Kim was talking about, being righteous, being right with God, is having that that acceptance of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And so that's the act that makes you pleasing with God, to believe that. And so it just says here that when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so God says over you today, he says, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved sons in whom I am well pleased. In Jesus' name. We all say to that? Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Yeah. So we're going to.